have uh, some special things happening. I'm going to invite Keenan, if Keenan would come up at this time, with his family. <clears throat> Get right here in the middle of Kenan. So we have Kenan Stokes, who came to our Discover Good News this week, uh, shared with us his faith in Christ, and he comes to join Good News by being baptized and taking the membership vows. So after, you can stand in the middle. We don't have to stand so far away. But after Kenan is baptized, I'm going to invite another couple up, and they're going to take the membership vows and join along with Kenan. Uh, got your family, got your crew up here with you. It's great to be connected to Christ and to his people. Uh, when we believe in Jesus, Kenan, Jesus washes all of our sins away, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. So as the water is poured over your head, it's a, it's a symbol of how through your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away. He's given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also seals us to make sure that nothing or no one will ever separate us from his love. So step for me just a little bit here. There we go. You can face out and get a little closer to me here. <laughs> Kenan Stokes, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for Kenan, for his faith in you. And Lord, we pray that the water poured over his head would help assure him that his sins are washed away, that you've given him the Holy Spirit and that nothing or no one will ever separate you, him, from your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congratulations. That was really great, man. Thank you. And I'm going to invite uh, Norm and Cindy, if they would come up uh, as well. We have... So welcome, Norm and Cindy Mason. And um, Norm went to the same high school my wife did. So uh, a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> Played basketball at Flagler, right? Mm -hmm. You met at, met at Flagler. Yep. And now you're back. Met you many, many years ago in South Florida, so, yes. So, you guys, I did have a history before St. Augustine, so. And uh, you came to discover, share with us your faith, so let me ask you these membership vows. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and hopeless without His mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? Yes. And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? Yes. And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Yes. We need Jesus. We also need a body. It's so good in our culture today to have a place to, to be fed God's word and a place to serve. And we're really thankful you're making good news your church home. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for our new members. Help them to feel welcome. Lord, help their roots to go down deep here and may they grow and grow as disciples and disciple makers here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to welcome you now, but after the service, you guys come up. Make sure our new members feel welcome. So glad to have you guys a part of Good News. Welcome. Thank you. We are just a few weeks out from Easter, and we're really, really excited 
and wanted to give you a little uh, feedback. A couple of weeks ago, Tony stood up here and said there, was, there were many opportunities to serve in children's ministry, and so many of you stepped forward. I just wanted to give you an update from Tony. What's up, Good News Church? It's Tony Willis, your children's ministry director here, and I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you so much for teaming up with us to offer kids an amazing experience on Easter Sunday morning. A few weeks ago, I stood on stage and I asked you to lock arms with us so that we could offer kids an Easter egg scavenger hunt on Easter Sunday morning. And boy, did you guys step up to the plate. We had an amazing response and I just wanted to say, you guys are awesome. We are really looking forward to a fun Easter Sunday together. If you wanna join our team, it's not too late. Just take out one of those connect cards in the seat back in front of you and make sure to fill out your name, your email, and your phone number. And on the back of the card, write down, put me in coach. I'll be sure to get in contact with you this week. We are looking forward to an awesome Sunday together. We hope you'll join us. Please bring your friends, bring your family. It's gonna be a lot of fun together as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So thank all of you who responded to Tony's uh, request. And we're, we're really excited about the next few weeks. And uh, one of our, uh, our three-year goals in our strategic plan is to help with communication. So I wanted to let you know what's coming up this month so that you would know. So um, Easter is three weeks out. On, this, on Palm Sunday, the week before, following our um, 1030 service, we're going to have a lunch. The purpose of the lunch is just to spend time together and also to get us really excited about working together for the next week of Easter and a great event. We will have a, uh, one service at Good News Church. Both of our campuses will be together. It'll be 6.30 on that Good Friday. It'll be here at our Wildwood campus. We do have uh, two services on Easter, and we have some invitations that I'm going to share with you a little bit more about later on. But it's going to be a great opportunity to invite people to come and hear about our Living Hope Jesus on Easter. Um, speaking of that, we're really excited this week that we saw two people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and we rejoice. We rejoice with that. And I'm really excited we're about to open up God's Word. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father. You are that heavenly Father we've always wanted, a strong and loving Father. Good morning, Jesus. You're a great big brother. You go first and you protect your little brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, we're so glad you've moved in and we're glad that you've sealed us. Hallowed be your name in our worship today, in our family and work and school throughout the week. May we treat your name as holy. Your kingdom come, Jesus, your king, we're not. You lead, help us to follow. Help us to spread the good news of the gospel of the kingdom throughout our community and world. King Jesus, we look forward to that day you come back and your kingdom is here in all of its fullness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. Help us to delight in doing your will. Give us this day our daily bread. You know our financial needs as individuals and families and as a church. Lord, meet our needs. In all of our physical needs, we have many needs. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, we pause and confess our sins to you. 
Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil within us, the flesh, of actually thinking that we're wiser than you. Deliver us from the flesh and deliver us from the world that's always trying to squeeze us into its mold. And Lord, deliver us from the evil one. We're thankful for your word. Holy Spirit, fall for us. And as we open your word, teach us. May each of us leave here today more in love with Jesus than when we came. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one in the lobby and bring it with you. Uh, we're going to read from 1 Timothy 4, but before we read that, I want to ask you a really important theological question, and that question is, what is a surfer? A surfer is someone who loves to surf who treasures surfing, who dreams about surfing, who's always checking the wave report. A surfer is someone when he's sitting in school, isn't thinking about school, but he's thinking about the waves. And if the waves are really good, not talking about any of you, but someone else I know, they just might skip school and go surfing. Uh, as they get a little older, maybe before work and after work, or if the waves are really good, they might call in at work and say... I'm sick and go surfing. They might get stung by jellyfish. They might break some boards. They might wipe out a lot, but they never quit because they love to surf. They love to surf. There's just nothing like riding a wave, right? What's a surfer? That's what a surfer is. So let me ask you a question. What's a disciple? What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, who treasures Jesus, who thinks about Jesus, who dreams about Jesus, who, who wants to follow him and be with him and wants to bring all of his friends with him. No matter how many times he's disappointed by other Christians, or, or he doesn't stop because he loves Jesus, he treasures Jesus, he wants to follow Jesus. What's your treasure? What is that must-have in your life? Hmm? Imagine what would happen if that must-have was Jesus. That's why today's message is called Faithful Leaders Treasure Jesus. That Listen, faithful disciple-makers, they treasure Jesus above all else. And, and you say, well, why would they treasure Jesus? And that brings us to the point of today's message. The, the reason they treasure Jesus is because godliness is profitable for all things. If you're new, we've been learning the last few weeks that godliness means being well-devoted. A disciple is someone who's well-devoted to Jesus. And listen, when we treasure Jesus and love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, listen, when we're well-devoted to Jesus, it's profitable for all things. We're going to learn it's profitable for this life and it's profitable for the life to come. So let me ask you, are there sins in your life that you'd like to be freed from? Are they? Treasure Jesus. Treasure Jesus and you'll experience that power. Are you struggling in your marriage and you'd like a better marriage? Listen, treasure Jesus and you'll change your marriage. Listen, uh, would you love to, to read the Bible and study the Bible and know it better? Well, treasure Jesus and you'll look forward to reading the Bible. Are there people you'd like to see brought to faith in Christ? Then treasure Jesus. And you'll want all your friends to know him too. 
Okay. Let's jump in. Godliness is profitable for all things. In verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Um, Previously on 1 Timothy... What we've seen so far as we've walked through 1 Timothy is Paul is really discipling Timothy how to be an effective disciple maker, an effective pastor. And last week, last week we learned that if we want to be a disciple, if we want to help disciple others, then we need to guard our hearts and to guard those we're discipling against two dangers, the dangers of apostasy and the dangers of heresy. And remember last week we learned a definition of apostasy? We learned that apostasy is abandoning our faith, of once professing faith and walking away from that. And we see that happening in our culture today. It's now called faith deconstructing. And we learned that deconstructing our faith is nothing new, that Paul here was warning Timothy to be careful that he didn't and to protect those he was discipling from apostasy. And we learned that people fall into apostasy because of heresy. And so we learned that a heresy is a a false gospel, a false gospel. And so it's very important if we want to be disciples and disciple makers that we guard ourselves and we guard those we're discipling from apostasy or heresy. And then if we're going to be disciples and we're going to disciple others, we need to learn how to feed ourselves so that we can be constantly nourished. And we need to equip those that we're discipling that they can feed themselves constantly nourished on the words of the faith. And that is the gospel. We need to continually be hearing the gospel and preaching the gospel to ourselves constantly and of the sound doctrine. And that is the the truth of God's word, sound doctrine. Oh, I love doctrine because doctrine gives us a firm foundation, a firm foundation for our lives, a foundation for our families, a foundation for our church. Matter of fact, this week I got to teach Discover Good News, and I love when I go through Discover Good News because I get to go through our doctrine. So I thought I would just share a little bit about what we did this week, starting with God, the Trinity. Um, Would you read this first statement with me? We're going to do it together. You ready? You guys ready? Okay. We believe there is one true God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are equal in one God. So we believe there's one God, yet He exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, where do we see that in the Bible? Often at the end of the service, I give a benediction. It's a Trinitarian benediction. And I say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's God the Son. And the love of God. There's the Father. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one verse, all part of a benediction, okay? And we got to think about that this week. And and then we talked about salvation by grace, salvation by grace. Would you read this top part with me? We believe a person is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One word appears three times. What is it? Do you know why that's important? That's what started the Protestant Revolution, the, the Protestant Reformation, about set a revolution there. It was the word alone. Because Roman Catholics believed in grace and faith and Christ. What made it different was 
that we believe a person is saved by God's grace alone through faith, alone in Christ alone. Where do we see that? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it isn't dependent on us? Aren't you? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, and then we looked at another one of my favorite doctrines, the authority of Scripture. I'm so thankful we have an authority of the Bible. And I want you just to read the first sentence with me here, okay? The first sentence, we, we believe the Bible is the Word of God and has the right to command our belief and action. So when we gather together in worship or small group, we open the Bible because what determines what we believe and what we do is what God's Word teaches. Now, let me walk you through the next one. We believe the Scriptures to be the inspired. That word means God breathed. That God breathed into men who wrote down exactly what God intended. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, inerrant. Because it was inspired, the scriptures were inerrant. They were without error. And that leads to infallible. That means trustworthy. <laughs> it means if you build your life and your family on the scriptures, there will be no whoopses. God will never say, well, that was a mistake. No, no, it's, it's trustworthy. And uh, then it's authoritative. It's the final rule for faith and practice, and it's sufficient. Are you kidding me? Everything we need to know to be equipped for every good work is in this book. Uh, there's a lot of attorneys in my family. You ever go into their offices? They've got all these books. We have one that is sufficient. Isn't that good? Oh, all scriptures, God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every... What if we believe that? Wouldn't we run to church? Wouldn't we get up in the morning and open His Word? Um, constantly nourished on the words of the faith, always preaching the gospel to ourselves and of the sound doctrine which you've been following, loving to come to church and hear it, getting up and studying his word, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Oh, man, sometimes it's hard to be up here and great to be out there. And you just sit back in your seat and say, I just can't wait to hear this one, right? Um. What he's really saying is that we as Christians, we fixed our hope on Jesus. We want to gaze at Jesus. And the devil's always trying to lead us astray, to get us distracted. And one of the distractions are what we might call old wives' tales. You ever heard that? The term old wives' tales, things that people say that aren't true, but they can get us off track. Now, uh, our small group, we were recently talking about some of those. I think the question was, what were some of the rules in your homes that you grew up in? And some old wives' tales are secular. And uh, if you're old like me, our parents would tell us that you can't swim for 30 minutes after you eat because you'll get a cramp and drown. Anybody hear that? You know, it's not true. It's an old, it's an old wives' tale. Or if you sit too close to the TV, you'll go blind. And listen, that's not true. And my mom used to always say, if you crack your knuckles, you know, you're going to get arthritis. And I love to crack my knuckles, and I've done it, and I still don't have arthritis, okay? So those are like secular all-wives' tales. But there's many that are religious ones, too. My mom would always tell me that cleanliness is... 
<laughs> and that's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches, right? That's an old wives' tale. And another one is God helps. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all, that God helps those who help themselves, right? Or we hear all the time that all religions teach the... And that's not true. It's not true. And so what he's saying is don't get caught up in these things that aren't true. Um, On the other hand, uh, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Um, Now, I love the word discipline. See the word there, gumnazo? It's what we get the word gymnastics from or gymnasium. A gymnasium is a place where people go and they practice and train, right? Or or gymnastics. Man, aren't they amazing? They they train for that. So what he's saying is instead of getting caught up in these old wives' tales, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Exercise, practice, train for godliness. (laughs) Um, And godliness, uh, that's one of Paul's words, man. He loves that word. The word godliness occurs 16 times in the Newer Testament, never in the Older Testament, but 16 times and 13 of them are Paul. 13 of them are used by Paul. Boy, he wanted Timothy to train people to to exercise and practice and discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. Now notice what he says next. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Um, he says, there is value in exercising, but it is of little profit compared, compared to disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. And I want you to know, I love to exercise. I exercise all the time. If you talk to Karen, she'll say, he's sick. He said, I love to. And because I love to, that's why I exercise. Because if you start out exercising physically and you never love to, you'll eventually what? You'll stop. Because we always and only do what we want to do. We might start out exercising because someone told me to, but if it never becomes a love, we will stop. I love to exercise. I do every day of my life because I love it. And, um, but what Paul is saying is that bodily discipline... Uh, is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. He says, listen, when we exercise our body, we're still on a sinking ship. We are. This boat is still sinking, but, but he says, listen, when we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, it has value in this life and also in the life to come. Um, godliness. Um, um, it's that one great love we must have. And that's what drives us. Paul is giving us an incentive to love, exercising, straining, and disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Um, I've heard the the best definition I've ever heard for self-control. Self-control is the right ordering of our passions. The right ordering of our passions. So if our highest treasure is Jesus, if Jesus is our treasure, if Jesus is our first love, then all the other things in our life will be in the right place. What is that top love, top treasure in your life? Um, What Paul says is that when Jesus is our treasure, when he's our great love, then we will be disciplined. We will be pursuing godliness because we always and only do what we love to do and what would drive us what would drive us to pursue Jesus more than anything else is to believe that godliness has value now and forever. Godliness changes our life. 
Godliness changes our family. It changes our church. It changes our community. It changes our nation. And that's in this life. And then it lasts forever. Oh, what if? What if Jesus was our treasure? You ever see people training for sports? You ever see that? You see, or, or someone learning to play the piano and they practice and they practice and they, what if we were like that? That we so much wanted to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow him that we trained for it. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Uh, Paul loved this. Paul loved to say this. This occurs five times in the New Testament, always Paul. Uh, it's way he, what he says, pay attention. Um, Norman Cindy, uh, we have a common experience with the church. The pastor there years ago, he was my hero. He's now with Jesus. But what he would always say, are you listening? If he wanted to say something, he didn't want you to miss it. Are you listening? Uh, if you're a teacher, you might say, you'll see this again. You might say, this will be on the final that gets people to lean in. When Paul wanted people to lean in, he would say, it's a trustworthy statement. Don't miss this, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor. Do we labor to know Jesus? Do we labor to follow Jesus? Do we pursue him because we love him more than anything else and strive? Oh, the word strive here is the word agonizo. Guess what word we might get from that, right? Agony? Oh, man. To train, to fight, to struggle, to strain after. I mean, don't you see athletes who want to win so bad they structure their whole life around training and training and practicing and practicing to win a game? What if we were marked by that great love of Jesus that we trained and worked and longed for godliness? It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive. Here's why. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. We have hooked our wagon to Jesus and said, we want to follow you, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Um, uh, wait a minute, Smiley. What does that mean, that he's the Savior of all men, especially of believers? Uh, well, one of the important things of interpreting Scripture is we interpret Scripture with Scripture. This is one verse, and how does this verse connect with the rest of Scripture? It certainly doesn't teach universalism that, that everybody's going to be saved because the Bible's so clear that a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, verse 7? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, I am the way, right? He didn't say I am a way, did he? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in case we didn't get it the first time, he says it again, right? He says what? No one comes to the Father but through me. So listen, only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are going to be saved. So what is Paul talking about in 1 Timothy 4? Well, certainly part of what he's saying, he's the Savior of all men. All men need a Savior. But here's what I believe he's saying. Jesus coming into the world has been a blessing to all the people in the world. The world is a better place because Jesus came. And you say, how's that? Well, what year is it? It's what? It's 2023, right? We have a calendar because what? Jesus came. Do you know if you go to Jacksonville, you'll find Baptist Hospital? Did you know that? 
and you'll find St. Vincent's. At one time you had St. Luke's. Do you hear any atheist hospitals, first atheist hospital, do you? Do you know why Christians have always started a hospital? Do you know why? Because when Jesus was here, what did he do? He healed people, right? And so his people, as they spread around the world, have taken a healing ministry with them because, and a lot of people don't understand this, that mercy is a Christian attribute. Loving, helpless people is a Christian attribute. And so Christians have spread hospitals around the world because we've received mercy, we show mercy. You know how else people around the world have been blessed by Jesus? You ever heard the phrase, no one left behind? Anybody ever heard that? You know where that comes from, don't you? That Jesus said, if you have 100 sheep and you've lost one of them, you leave the 99 and you go after the one. Now, one of my favorite movies, and I don't quote movies often, but it's Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, it's a really old movie, and Lawrence was from England, and he was in Saudi Arabia during World War I. And... Lawrence was not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination, but he was from a nation that had been influenced by Christianity. So one night, Lawrence is riding through the desert on camels with a, a bunch of Arabs, and one of the Arabs falls off the camel. So when the light comes up the next morning, they realize they've lost one. And the Arabs said, oh, well. But Lawrence said, no, I need to go back for him. And they said, why? Because, see, they hadn't come from a Christian culture. They said, why? And he said, I have to. So he left them, and he went back, and he brought him out. Why? Because he came from a country that had been blessed by the gospel, that no one is left behind. Haven't you heard that in our military? Isn't that part of the military? What? No one. How many soldiers have been saved? Because Jesus came and their fellow soldiers wouldn't leave them behind because no one's left behind. Don't we say that about our educational system? No one left behind. Why do we say that? Because our country has been affected by Jesus' coming. So there certainly are benefits to people around the world that Jesus has come. But listen, only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's be real clear here. Let's look at this. This is really important. Who will be saved? For by grace you have been saved. We're saved by grace. God's love for ill-deserved people, for sinners. For by grace you've been saved through faith. We're saved by faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. Salvation's a gift. It's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Um, listen, if you die today and you stood before God, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Would you go first to yourself? Well, I've been a good person. I've done this. Would you? Then listen, you're lost. I've asked that question to so many people. Why should God let you in heaven? Well, I'm a good person. If that's you, I want you to look very clearly. It says, it's not of yourselves. Working your way isn't the way. It's, it's not of works. No one will ever get into heaven by saying, I'm such a good person. <laughs> How could a person get into heaven? Well, the gospel has some bad news, and it's that we have a problem called sin. What is a sin? It's a crime against God. And who's guilty of that? We're all guilty. The Bible says, for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Uh, sin is a crime against God, and we've committed crime after crime against God with our thoughts 
with our words, with our deeds. Listen, God is just. Sin must be punished. He can't just let us in the back door and say it doesn't matter. No, God says what we deserve for our sin is hell itself. So what do we do? Well, we can't do anything, but God has done something for us. That's what's called grace. Grace is that God the Son put on flesh and came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life for us and then went to the cross. And as a man, he could become our substitute. And as God, his death would be of infinite value. So Jesus took our sins upon himself and died on the cross for our sins once and for all to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he was buried. But on the third day, he walked out of the grave, proving that he had conquered sin and death. And he offers to us salvation as a free gift. See, it's a gift. What is salvation? It's a salvation from. It's a salvation for. It's a salvation from the guilt of sin and the penalty of sin. It's a salvation from wasting our life. It's a salvation from wasting our eternity. It's a salvation for forgiveness. For doing life with Jesus, for doing eternity with Jesus. And how do we get this gift? It's by faith. It's by faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And saving faith is simple. It's as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you do that now? Or if you need help when I close in prayer, I'll help you. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. That's the A, and then the B is we believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then the C is we commit. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you do that? And if you have, don't you hear what it says? For by grace you have been saved. You're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Best gift ever, not as a result of works that no one should boast. <clears throat> and when you believe in Jesus and you invite him in, then he moves in you. And that's what fills you with hope. That's what Paul's talking about in chapter 4, verse 10. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. We've hooked our wagon to Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And when we hook our wagon to Jesus, he moves in us. And that's what fills us with hope. What is our hope? I'm going to teach you something today. What is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you, what is our hope? And you're going to respond back to me because I want you to learn this. Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. Okay, what is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. One more time, you are halfway there. What is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. Oh. So important we know that. One of my favorite verses in Colossians 1, verse 27. Of course, my favorite verse is kind of like, what's my favorite kind of ice cream? What did I eat last night? Colossians 1, 27. Now, when the Apostle Paul just gets so excited, he says, to whom, that's us, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen, this is like what the Christian life is all about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you a Christian? Listen, the one who rose from the dead has moved into you and Christ in you. That's what gives us the hope of glory. And what is the hope of glory? It's the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. Do you know I love being a Christian? 
I'm around with so many people and they're so discouraged, but I know Jesus and he lives in me and I live each day with the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. So what is it that robs us of our joy? Hmm? What keeps us from that joy? Well, only our past and our present and the future, right? Oh, you know what robs us of that, that joy and hope? It's our past, right? It's our failures. What do we do with our failures? No one has failed more than me. So I'm so thankful to know Jesus Christ lives in me. And that means our failures are not fatal. I'm forgiven. And not only that, but Jesus has moved into me. That means I can overcome things in my life and I can change. Listen, our failures are not fatal. That's what keeps people from having hope for the future is our past. How about our present? What keeps us from that joyful expectancy that the best is yet? Isn't it our present? I mean, life is hard in a broken world, isn't it? Marriage is hard. Being single is hard. Parenting is hard. Being parented is hard. It's hard, isn't it? The world's broken. Work's hard, isn't it? Being unemployed is hard, isn't it? Oh. You know, I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Our lives are not futile. I get to do life with a friend whose name is Jesus, who says he's never leaving isn't that what we long for a friend? You know why else our lives are not futile? I've got a purpose. Jesus has a purpose for my life that I get up every day of my life. I'm excited about I'm here to do something that matters. Listen, I'm here to make disciples who can make disciples. Our, our lives are not futile. Uh, and you know what? Our death is not final. I mean, sometimes we look ahead and we realize we're going to die and it robs us of hope. But listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus rose from the dead, said we could too. Our death is not final. The best is yet to come. How do we know? Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay. So uh, back to 1 Timothy. So what have we learned? We've learned that godliness is profitable. Verse 8, for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Uh, the reason we want to pursue godliness is, is it's profitable for now, for our lives and family and church and community and world, and it's profitable forever. So our action step for this week, our action step this, for this week is I want you to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It comes right out of the passage, doesn't it? It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, smiling, how do we do that? How do we do that? Verse 10, for it is this. It's for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. We need to discipline our eyes to gaze at Jesus, to gaze at Jesus, to gaze at Jesus and not at our circumstances. The reason we're so down is we're always gazing at our circumstances and we only glance at Jesus and say, help. And we need to reverse that. <laughs> We need to gaze at Jesus and uh, glance at our circumstances. We have fixed our hope on the living God. Now, remember what I taught you just a few moments ago. I asked you a question. I'm going to ask you the question again, right? What is our hope? Yes, almost there. What is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. Every day of my life, I meet people inside the church and outside the church, and they're so dismayed, and they're so discouraged, and they're so upset by the moral chaos they see in our country. And I want you to know, what is our hope? What is it? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. 
Our hope is not dependent on who's in the White House. Our hope is not dependent on the laws that Congress passes. Our hope is not dependent on how well things are going in our country. Our hope is our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know he has a plan to change your life. And he has a plan to change your family. And he has a plan to change our church. And he has a plan to change our nation and our world. And it has nothing to do with who's in the White House. It has nothing to do with the laws that Congress passes. It has nothing to do with how things are going in our country. He's given us supernatural power that he wants us to use to change our lives in our families, in our church, in our community. Oh, let me show you that plan and that power. In Romans 1, <laughs> now you have to understand this, there's the Roman Empire, armies and power and government, and Paul says, I want to conquer the Roman Empire. How? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Imagine if we weren't ashamed of the gospel, what could happen in our lives and family and, and culture? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also uh, to the Greek. Wow, the gospel. It, it's the power of God. And so Paul couldn't wait to go to Rome and preach the gospel because he believed the gospel was more powerful than the Roman Empire. Do we believe that? Oh, the gospel, the power of God, the power to change our lives, the power to change our family, the power to change our church, the power to change our nation and the world. So what we need to learn to do is to get up each day and preach the gospel to ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves, and then we can share it with others. Back to 1 Timothy. Let me show you this. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished. Notice that? Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. I mean, most of us, we eat three meals a day, right? Why? Because we want to nourish our bodies. There's a rhythm to the Christian life where we gather to nourish ourselves on Sundays, right? Isn't that why we're here, to fix our hope on Jesus, to preach the gospel to ourselves so we can preach it to others? And don't we get up and, and have breakfast with Jesus so we can preach the gospel to ourselves and then go and preach it to others? <laughs> you ever go out to eat? You ever take home food? If you take home the food, do you ever eat it? I got to no. know. I got to Yes. You know, if you take food home and you get it out of the refrigerator after a day or two, what, it just, it doesn't taste like it did when it was new and fresh, does it? It's just old. Food doesn't travel well. There's just something about when it first comes out. It's like that with the gospel. We need the gospel every day. We need God's Word every day. Remember the Old Testament? Remember when they're going through the desert? Remember the manna would, what, come down, what, every day? And they were to gather, what, enough for one day? Because if they tried to keep yesterday's for today, what happened to it? It rotted. What I'd love for you to do for a week is to get up and preach the gospel to yourself to say, what is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. If you'll do that for a week, it'll change your life. It will. What is our hope? Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. 
And what is it that robs us of hope? Our past, our present, and our future. So preach the gospel to yourself each day and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you live in me, and my, our failures are not fatal. I'm forgiven. My life can change. And preach the gospel to yourself about today. Our lives are not futile. I'm doing life in a broken world with a friend and a purpose, and our death is not final. And if you preach the gospel to yourself, then go out and share it with others, because who do you know who's undone by their failures? who would absolutely love to know that with Jesus they can be forgiven and that our failures are not fatal. Listen, how many people do you know who are being undone by the futility of life? And life is just so hard and they're so undone. Why don't you go and share with them that when we believe in Jesus, He moves in and our lives are not futile. We get a friend and a purpose big enough to give our lives to. Who do you know? This has gotten a bad report from the doctor, and they're so undone. Wouldn't they love to know what you know? That when we believe in Christ and He moves in, our death is not final. And if they say, how do you know? You can tell them. Why? Because a dead man got up and walked out of the tomb and said we could too. And speaking of that, what, what's the most hope-filled event in human history? What is it? Isn't it the day? A dead man got up and walked out of the tomb, and isn't that what we believe? And you know, in three weeks, in three weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to share that hope with others. Won't you join our Easter team? I mean, I've always heard that if you offer the church political power or spiritual power, the church will always choose political power. Jesus has not given us political power but he's given us the power of the gospel, the power to change lives and families and churches and communities and nations. And on, on Easter Sunday, we get a chance to share that hope with others. Won't you join our Easter team? I'd love to be a part of the team. If you'd like to be, won't you email me at smileyatgoodnewsloves.com and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of the team. And you say, how? One way, all of us, whether we will be there or not, we can all pray. Who would you like to see sitting here hearing the gospel? Won't you begin to pray for them? Won't you pray that many would come and hear the gospel and come to faith? Secondly, uh, you can invite, as you go through the lobby, we have some uh, sweet little invitations that have all about, we have business card size, we have postcard size. Won't you get them? They have the time of the services, the theme. It's going to be Jesus is our living hope. We're going to be offering so many dismayed, discouraged people hope, the hope that Jesus brings uh, you can serve. Many of you already signed up to serve. There's other opportunities to serve in children's ministry or, or in hospitality ministry. You can come. Oh, on that Sunday, won't you come early? And won't you welcome our guests? And won't you sing? Because if you help fill the room up with love and joy, the people, even before they hear the gospel, they'll say, I don't know what these people have, but I want hope. I want joy. I want what these people have. And then you can follow up. You can follow up that when that person you invite comes and they come to faith in Christ, you can invite them to follow Jesus with you. And if you say, I don't know how, we'd be glad to equip you so you could disciple them. Um, godliness. It means being well devoted to Jesus. And godliness is profitable for all things, for this life and also for the life to come. So discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For it is for this, 
for godliness, we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to save helpless, hell-bound sinners. Thank you for living a perfect life and dying on the cross for our sins. And thank you for rising and offering us salvation. Listen, if you came in trusting in yourself to get into heaven, wouldn't you rather put your trust in Jesus? Wouldn't you like to be safe? One day it'll be too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Uh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who've received you that we would remember this week that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ and you live in us. Lord, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day this week that our failures are not fatal and our lives are not futile and our death is not final. And then, Lord, send us out into our hopeless, joyless culture to share what we know, that our failures don't have to be fatal and our lives don't have to be futile and our death doesn't have to be final. Lord, we're thankful for the next three weeks. And Lord, I pray we'd all want to be a part of an Easter team. Lord, help all of us to do what we can do. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to invite. Help us to serve. Help us to come. Help us to follow up. Oh, Lord, may we see the gospel do amazing things in us and through us in the weeks to come. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.